0: Pinecrest Community Church was a brand new church in Parker, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. And in 1998, Pinecrest hired me to be their worship director. And if you're wondering why I'm not a worship director to this day, is because I'm not as good as guys like Jeff. Uh, but they hired me, and the weekend that I candidated, there were 11 people in the service. And that counted me, Leanne, and the pastor himself. We were really, really small. In fact, we were so small that I I think that if a dog would have accidentally gotten into the school that we met in, we probably would have counted him in the attendance just to like boost our numbers. So you can imagine our excitement when John and Mary walked in for the first time, and then they came back a second time, and then a third time, and we're starting to think maybe this couple is going to really connect with our family. John approached our pastor and said he was an early riser. And so asked if he could come and help with our 7 a.m. setup. I mean, who does that? But John did. And, and Mary began to build some relationships with some of the other women. And we started to get excited at maybe this couple and what they might be able to begin to contribute to our brand new young small church. Well, a few weeks uh, later, one Sunday morning, John's helping to set up. And he approaches the pastor and says, hey, can we get together? And it turned out that John and Mary were having some marital difficulties. And so they get together, and during that time together, and by the way, I was not there. The pastor relayed all this to me later, so I'm going off what he said. But basically, John said that he was Mary's first husband, but that Mary was his fourth wife. And that she was beginning to act just like all of his ex-wives. And he was fearing that they were headed toward another divorce. And so he wanted the pastor to give him insight on what he could do to fix Mary. Well, the pastor apparently says to him, you know, John, you've been married four times. Each of these women begin to act exactly the same. You know what? Maybe the common denominator in each of these is you. Maybe rather than focusing on fixing Mary, maybe you need to actually look in the mirror and fix yourself. After that conversation, we never saw John and Mary again. Now I want you to imagine with me that John made no changes and that he and Mary actually ended up divorced. And so for a fourth time, John finds himself a single man. Now I want you to imagine with me, and this is going to be hard for you guys in the room. Imagine you are a single woman and you meet John and you find out that he's been married four times. What is your internal response? Is your first thought like, Oh, I'd love to be uh, wife number five. Or is your first thought, Whoa, all right. Be careful of this one. It's probably the second because John is not proven to be a man of his word. Four times he has stood before a judge or a pastor, some witnesses, and he's pledged till death do us part. And four times he broke that vow. He says one thing and does another, he's not a man of his word. Now, it's easy to judge someone like John. You can look at it and go, oh, well, yeah. But now let me run the risk of offending you and ask you, what about you? Are you always a person of your word? I, I wish I could claim that I was. I-, I seek to live my life in such a way that I am, that when I say something, I will actually do it. But all you have to do is go and interview my wife and my kids and you will find out there have been multiple times where I have not followed through on what I said I would. I have not been a man of my word. I remember my first year being the young adult pastor at a church in Cedar Rapids, and uh, this gal, I'm going to call her Monica, she approached me and says, hey, can we get together? I said, sure, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Any Anything to you know help someone in, in their pursuit of following Jesus. So we set this time, and, and I forgot. And this was before smartphones, I wasn't using my Palm Pilot like I should have been, I had been able to run through much of life just off my memory, all I'd have to do was look at my watch and know, oh, I'm supposed to be here, and I'd do it, and poor Monica, I, I forgot. So she was very gracious, we said a second time, and I forgot again. And after that second time, I could tell, Monica lost a lot of respect for me. She did not trust me. Because I had said, yes, I will be there. And it wasn't intentional, but I had accidentally lied. I said one thing, and then I did something else. And I lost respect, and I lost trust. But this isn't just an Aaron problem, and this isn't just a John problem. This is a human problem. And every once in a while on his late night show, Jimmy Kimmel loves to show everyone just how fake we all are and how we don't keep our word. He has this little segment that he calls Lie Witness News. And he showed one a couple of weeks ago, so I brought it for you today. The big New York primary was today. One of the things about the New York primary that makes it different from other state primaries is it happens in New York. None of the others do. But this afternoon, we went out on the street here in Hollywood to ask people if they voted in the New York primary today, which, of course, <laughs> is impossible because New York is very far from here. But... Now, we didn't include anyone who voted absentee. We asked people, did they go in and vote? So the question is, will people in Los Angeles claim they voted in the New York primary today? And the answer is yes.
1: How was your polling place this morning when you voted in the New York state primary here in California? It was pretty great. Was it busy? Um, yeah, very. What were the lines like? long. <laughs> Who did you go with? I um, went with my aunt. So big morning this morning obviously is the New York State primary here in LA. Yes. How was your polling place this morning? Was it busy? Yeah busy yeah. What were the lines like? Uh it's kind of long. What borough did you vote in this morning? Hollywood or Queens? Hollywood. Yeah um and did you take the Long Island Ferry to get there or did you walk or?
0: I I took the ferry.
1: You took the ferry. How was it? Was it choppy out
0: there? Yeah. Um,
1: big morning here in LA. It was the New York State primary. How was your polling place this morning? Was it crazy busy or were you okay? Um, yes, it
0: was busy. Um, it was all right, but I got through.
1: Were there a lot of New Yorkers at the New York State primary today? Or? Yeah, <laughs> there was,
0: but it's okay. How could you
1: tell who was a New Yorker and who was a Californian at your polling place?
0: Um, because I find that us Californians are more friendlier. Did you
1: register to vote in the New York primary here in LA? Yes. Yeah. What was that form like? Was it crazy that they made you identify different types of pizza, different types of bagels? What did you, what did you pick? Did you say you eat pizza with a knife and fork, or just straight I, by hand? Honestly,
0: I don't even remember
1: what I put. I kind of like jotted through it. I really just tried to make sure I was eligible to vote. So. I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. Was it difficult to get to your polling place on time because of the different time zones? Obviously, the three-hour
0: difference. Yes, it's it's a lot of math that you have to do to get there. Who
1: did you go with to vote this morning? I'm by myself. No. Oh. My friend's going later. So. Oh, is your friend also a lie? Yeah. I see. All right. Thank you so much. Would you like a sticker? Yeah, sure. Okay. Big morning here in Los Angeles, the New York primary. How was your polling place when you voted this morning? Was it busy or was it? Was it was packed. Oh really? Absolutely packed. Oh, how long did you have to wait in line? Probably two hours. Obviously because it's the New York primary, they were giving out cute little New York prizes. Did you get one of those Statue of Liberties that they were handing out? I did not, but I did get uh, a donut. You did get a donut? I got a donut. Oh, what flavor donut? It was something that had sprinkles on it. Did you get one of the complimentary slices of raised pizza, or did you take one of the bagels? I took a bagel. What, what kind of bagel did you take? Um, a raisin. Oh, yeah. nice. Did you put anything on it? Um, cream cheese. Oh, good. Did they yeah. let you toast it, or? Um, I just took it like that. Just plain. Yeah. Yeah. Plain. yeah cool. Obviously, there were those new voting machines today mm-hmm. where you swipe your Metro card to vote. Did you have to go somewhere to buy a Metro card first, or did you have one mailed to you? I actually had one already, so oh. it was pretty convenient. Oh. Oh, that's good. Um, how much did you pay to vote? Was it the $2 or the $1.99? It was the $1.99. Oh, you got yeah. a good deal. Yeah, I did. Oh, nice. What do you say to New Yorkers who say it's not fair that we can vote in their primary, but they can't vote in ours? Well, I think that uh, they're living in the wrong place, but I'm grateful that they're living there. Yeah. California is a truly magical place. Absolutely. This street is, right? Yep. Full of liars. Exactly. Would you like a, a sticker? Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. All
0: right, so we can laugh at that, but aren't you also simultaneously really uncomfortable to think that these are the people who are going to help (laughs) secure our future in voting for president and senators and all of that? This is a human problem. We struggle with, with lying. We, we want to look good. A- and we will say one thing, but we don't follow through. We don't keep our word. And yet, if you claim to follow Jesus, there is an expectation that you will keep your word. Because God keeps his word. And those who are going to follow Jesus are going to live like Jesus lived. So therefore, by extension, we are to keep our word. And today, we're going to see just how important this is as we continue on in this unexpected series. If you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, open it up to Matthew chapter five. Matthew five, and we're going to look at the section that my mom already read for us. We're going to look at it together. What it's really—it's going to look like two topics. But as we look at it today, we're going to see it's really just one topic. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, 31 through 37. Before we read it, let's pray. Well, Father, we are coming now to the scriptures, which reminds us, this isn't just so much about what I've prepared this week to to talk about today. This is really about what you have put in your ancient scriptures, which has been here far longer than any of us have ever been on this earth, and will be here far after we have left this earth your word remains. So Lord, help us today to not bring in our filters to this thing, but instead to let you be the the filter for us, that we would see your gospel, and we would let these words penetrate our hearts and our minds, no matter how uncomfortable they might be, because this isn't so much about what we want it to say, this is about what you're saying and what you want for us, because you love us, and what you have here is for our good and for our joy. So Father, help us to trust us as we look at these unexpected words today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this again. Matthew five thirty-one through 37. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. (laughs) And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Today, as we look at this, we're going to see this one topic of keeping your word. And we're going to see today that Jesus is saying that we need to keep our word in marriage, we need to keep our word in divorce, and we need to keep our word pure. So keep your word in marriage, keep your word in divorce, and keep your word pure. So first, keep your word in marriage. I will admit, it's very, very tempting to start actually with divorce because as we look at the section today, verse 31, Jesus starts right off, whoever divorces his wife. But the reason we can't start with divorce is that in order to get divorced, you have to first get married. So we need to go and talk first about marriage. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is asked by some Pharisees about divorce. And when he starts to respond, he goes back into the Old Testament. He goes all the way back into Genesis, and he heads to chapter 2. And he starts describing that when God created man and woman, he created them for each other, and that the two, and the way Jesus put it was that the two become one flesh. So therefore, what man has joined together, let man not separate. Let man not rip that one flesh apart. And so in Jesus' mind, it's like marriage is to be this permanent thing. There's this bonding that is to take place, and we are not to take it apart. This is why um, adultery is so wrong, because it is the ripping of that flesh. That, That when you stand before God and witnesses, and you make these marital vows to one another, you're saying, I'm giving my body, my soul, my heart, my everything to you, and you're linking together. And so you therefore don't have the right to just go and take your body and join it up with whoever you want. And if you do, that's the breaking of the marriage vow. That's not keeping your word. This is also why abuse is a sin. Because when you stand on a stage before God or or a, a judge or whoever, and you're committing your life to this person, you're saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there for you. And so when you hurl physical violence or emotional violence or, or uh, uh, verbal abuse, you are not keeping your word. You are breaking those marital vows. And so by extension, as we look at this, it's like Jesus is saying, and divorce is the same. Because you made a vow before God and witnesses. You've committed your life together. God has joined the two into one flesh. And so you can't just go and rip it apart. It is breaking your vow. It is not keeping your word. Now, to Jesus' audience, this would have been shocking. More than just unexpected. This would have, this would have been offensive. Because in Jesus' day and age, divorce was incredibly common and it was incredibly easy. It was also incredibly unfair. Here's why. For a divorce to take place in that day and age, All a guy had to do was write up a letter. They called it a certificate of divorce and he could just give it to his wife and that was that. And and that certificate of divorce, it was considered a legal document. He didn't have to take it through the courts. He didn't have to get it ratified by a judge. He didn't have to go to the temple and have a priest stamp it. He didn't even have to get it notarized. He could just write it up in the morning, hand it to his wife that evening and that was that. She was out and it was over. And what was incredibly unfair is the wife could not do it back. Her husband could be a jerk, he could be abusive, he could be cheating on her, but she did not have the right to create the certificate of divorce. And yet, the husband wanted, he could write it up, give it to her, and she was out. Now, in our day and age, when when a divorce happens, a, a woman could go and get a job, she could get a lease on an apartment, but back in Jesus' day, her only options were basically to return back home to her parents or to remarry. And that's what many women did. And so divorce and remarriage was somewhat common in Jesus's day. It was actually very easy to take place. And so for Jesus to sit there and say, hey, you've got to keep your word in marriage. If you get divorced, it's wrong. It's sin. It's like adultery. His audience would have been going, how can you say this? Because to Jesus, when you commit your life to this other person, you are now one flesh. And he expects you to keep your word in marriage. I heard a story recently about a couple that took place a a few years ago. Their names were Sana and Adnan. Uh, By their names, I don't know if they were from the Middle East or India or the Netherlands. I mean, they may have lived in Chicago for all I know. But uh, Sana and Adnan were both in miserable marriages and they got very involved online. And Sana, she took the name Sweetie, that was her screen name, and Adnan was known as the Prince of Joy. And they really became this, like she became his sweetie and he became like a Prince of Joy to her. They, they met, they connected, and they, it was like they became soulmates. And, and they both would express the things that were going on in their marriages. And they were just like rallied there for each other. And pretty soon they felt like we're soulmates. We're, we're here for each other. And it turned out they lived in the same city and so they decided we need to meet up. And, and Sana worked at an internet shop. And so... Adnan said, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to be carrying a a red rose. And she said, I'll be holding a red rose. And that way they would know and recognize each other. And so he makes his way down. He's excited. His heart's fluttering. He walks in, and he's carrying a red rose, and he sees a woman holding a red rose, and it's his wife. It turns out they were having an affair on one another with one another. Now, it sounds like that song, Pina Colada, you know, the song Escape, you know, the guy takes out the little ad in the paper, you know, he's like, I'm sick of my marriage, I want to have a little fling, let's plan our escape, and so someone responds, and oh, in walks his wife, and it actually heals their relationship in the song. Not so much for Sana and Adnan, they actually went on and got divorced, do you know why? Because they were each so irate that the other person would even think of cheating on them. Now, we sit there and laugh at the hypocrisy, and yet we each know how irate we would be if we found out if our spouse was having these sort of conversations with someone else. Because we all know that when you stand before God and witnesses committing your life to this person, you are to keep your word even in marriage. And they were so upset and hurt because the other person did not. But Jesus doesn't just take this idea of keeping your word in marriage He extends it further, and this is where it gets even more uncomfortable. Look at verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you notice there, Jesus is taking this concept of marriage, of these two becoming one flesh, and he's carrying it on through, even through divorce. Because back in Matthew nineteen six, as we saw, he's saying, what well, God has joined to let, together, let man not separate. And, and so therefore, even though a man hands his wife a certificate of divorce, even though the wife goes down to the courthouse, files papers for divorce, even though the community may recognize them as divorced, Jesus is saying to God, you're not. Because God still sees you linked. Because God takes the two and makes them one flesh. So even in divorce, he's saying, you've got to keep your word to that marriage. Keep that word even through divorce. So any of you as uncomfortable as I am in this moment? Because all of us know people who've experienced divorce. As I look around this room, I know some of you have experienced divorce. Some of you have parents who've gone through divorce. Just here lately, talking to some of you, we have siblings that have gone through divorce. He, our best friends. And sometimes we look at their situations and, and, and think, well, yeah, they, they had to get out of that. I mean, that that was so rough. But yet, here's Jesus saying, unless there's sexual immorality, they're still married. They're still linked. And if they were to remarry, that becomes like adultery. And so Jesus has already shocked his audience, as we saw last week, saying, if you lust after someone in your heart, that's adultery. Now he's saying, if you get divorced and remarry, that's also adultery. And so basically, it's just like Jesus is pointing the finger at us, saying, you're a bunch of sinners. We just sit back shocked, like, ouch, what do we do? So here's what you do. If you were divorced, but you are not remarried, then I want to encourage you, stay there. Keep your word. Because at one point you stood on a stage and you committed your life to this person. So even though the marriage has crumbled, keep your word. Now, obviously Jesus says, if they remarry, now you are free. But until then, honor the vows. And that's hard. That's painful. That is not easy. But what that pain will do will drive you to your knees and it will cause you to become so reliant upon God that he will be the one to sustain you through this because there will be this longing in your heart to have someone new, someone different. And God is saying, I'm enough. Trust me, I'm with you. Keep your word. Now, I also know some of you, you're divorced and you're also now remarried. And it's impossible for me to give one blanket statement for each situation because everything is different. So let me say this. It's very possible that your divorce in the eyes of God was completely legitimate. Your remarriage also could be completely legitimate. And it's, it's great. God's blessed and he's caused it. But there's also a possibility that you haven't exactly followed God. And now you find yourself remarried. I knew someone back in Cedar Rapids who was in this sort of situation. And so they were learning this. And they're like, so does this mean I have to divorce now my second spouse? No. You made a commitment? Keep your word. Keep your word to that marriage. And that sin from the earlier divorce or the remarriage, it's forgiven through the cross of Christ. You do not have to beat yourself up. You do not have to feel like you're a failure. This marriage now could go on to be a huge blessing to others. So keep your word to this, and enjoy God's grace, because this can be a great and beautiful thing. Now I want to speak to those of you who maybe you find yourself in a difficult marriage. Maybe you are feeling like you're, you know, like divorce is an option. You're trying to put on this front that, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, but back home, you guys are not getting along, and that D word keeps slipping up into your brain. I want to encourage you, keep your word. Fight for it. Even though it is hard and painful now. I believe if you hold on to what God holds dear, and clearly by Jesus' words, God loves marriage. He created marriage and He He can do what only He can do, making the two into one. So honor that. Fight for it. If you need help, if you need resources, you let me know. Let your church family come alongside you. But don't give up. Cling to Christ and fight for your marriage. Go for it, because it's worth it. Keep your marriage, because God can do something beautiful through it. But now if you notice, Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, all right, keep your word in marriage, and even keep your word to that marriage in divorce. He even goes on to say, basically, keep your word in all relationships. In other words, keep your word pure. We see it starting there in verse 33. Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this is, many commentators believe that this is a quotation from Leviticus 19.12. But if you go back and look at Leviticus 19.12, you kind of see a few differences. The reason was that many of the people began to say, okay, if you're going to be really serious about what you're saying, you've got to commit it to the Lord. You're going to, in other words, swear by the name of the Lord. But that became so serious that the, uh, some of the Pharisees began to create this hierarchy of oaths. And, and these oaths and swearing were very—it was a very complicated system. In fact, if you look in Matthew 23, you'll see Jesus come against some of this, where they would say things like, oh, well, if you're going to swear— you can swear by the gift on the altar, that's binding. But don't swear by the altar. That That's not binding. And Jesus is pointing out, um, what is it that makes the gift so sacred? It's the altar— so why are you swearing by the gift on the altar, but not the altar itself? He's pointing out the, the idiocy of it. But what he's saying is that don't swear by any of these things at all. Because if you think about it, when you're saying, okay, yes, I'll do it, and I swear by this, or, or I I really mean it. In a sense, what you're saying is, my word's not enough. I really am not a person of my word. I've got to add to it to make it sound really good. And Jesus is warning about that. Notice how he sums it up in verse uh, 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, for those of you who heard the message, as we were looking at the topic of anger, we, we saw how humans have the imago Dei, the image of God in them. And how, so therefore, we don't have a right to hold this murderous rage against the Imago Dei. That teaching is kind of uh, coming through here, and we see it here again. Because Jesus is saying that you are, you have the Imago Dei in you. And therefore, because you have the Imago Dei in you, it reveals you belong to God, that God is your Father. But when you create these oaths, and you add this swear to it, saying, I swear by heaven, or I swear by earth, or I swear by my head. You, in a sense, are saying, my word is not enough. And now it's like you're setting it up as if Satan were your father. Because Jesus described Satan in John chapter 8 as the father of lies. And when you say one thing, and yet you don't follow through on your word, and you've sworn by it, you're, in a sense, behaving as if Satan was your father. But he's not. Because Satan can't create anything. All Satan can do is to distort and twist. So God creates humanity. He puts his image in him. And all Satan can do is kind of blur it and mar it through sin. He can't actually create. And so the image of God that's in you reveals that truly God is to be your father. That's why you don't have to go and add anything to it. Because God does not have to swear by anything. What's he going to swear by? Because he's the most pure and holy thing there is. So therefore, because his image is on you, you do not need to go and swear by anything else. Let your word be pure. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. But let's be honest. We all fail at this. There's this idea that we, if you say you follow Jesus, you are to be people of the word, meaning we are to be living out this, living like Jesus lived, adhering to the scriptures. So we're people of the word, and yet that means we have to be people of our word. So what do we do when we aren't? I think the first thing we need to do is confess. First, confess it to God. Admit, I was not a person of my word. I I did not keep my word. And you you just confess it. But usually— Our our lie, not keeping our word, it affects someone. And so go to them and confess it to them. If it's your spouse, seek them out, apologize. If it's your kids, you promised something and it didn't come through, you get to their level and you genuinely apologize for it. Maybe something happened at work, go to your boss, go to your coworker. Maybe something happened at school, head to your teacher, go to your classmate. It's hard, it's not comfortable, it's not easy. But for the sake of your reputation, for the sake of respect, for the sake of trust, for the sake of the gospel and the imago Dei in you, go to them and apologize and confess it. But the second thing that I think you should do, after you confess it, I think you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Because the gospel says that, yes, you are a sinner without Christ. But Jesus went and died the death upon the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. So when you lied that sin is forgiven. And when you didn't keep your word, you said you'd do something and you didn't, that is also forgiven. But the gospel also helps us see that we can't just presume upon God. We can't just lie for our own advantage. We can't just say, oh yeah, I'll I'll do that and I swear by this and not do it. It means that God went and died the death that we should have died to give us this life that he's always intended for us to live. And so as you preach the gospel to yourself, it means I'm forgiven of this and I also don't want to do it again. And it draws you back to Christ who can move you forward through this life so that you really can go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And you are then a person of your word. So confess it, then remind yourself of the gospel. So people of the word are people of their word. May you keep your word in marriage, even in divorce. May you keep your word at all times, at work, at play, at home, and as you do so, may you just keep your word pure. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, because people of the word are people of their word. Let's pray. Father, this sort of thing can only be done through your Holy Spirit. None of us can go out of here today forcing ourselves to be people of their word. This has to be an inner work that comes out of us naturally. But the gospel shows that we are broken and imperfect people, but that through Christ, you are restoring and repairing that image of you in us. And so God, help the Imago Dei to shine forth. May, may you restore it more and more today so that we are people of our word, that we will keep our word in our marriages. I pray for the marriages in this room, that they would be healthy, that they would be strong. I pray for those that are, are on the edge of divorce. I pray that, that they would seek you and find you and that there would be healing as they seek to follow you. I, I pray for those who've gone through divorce. If there's any uh, guilt or anything that's going on there, God, would you bring your healing power, your, your re- redemption there? May they know that they can be forgiven through Christ. Lord, I want to see my church family live healthily in their marriages and their parenting, at work, just out in this world. That means we need this Imago Dei restored in us. So God, would you do this for your glory, for our joy? Would you, would you help us to have the the guts to go and apologize, to confess what we've done, and then continue to remind us of who you are, of your immense love for us. May we preach that gospel to ourselves. Father, change us. Help us to be the people of the word that are also people of their word. In Jesus' name we ask for this. Amen.